Amen. Praise the Lord. It, it's always good to be in the house of the Lord. We're excited to be here tonight. We are going to be beginning our module four of our element series. This module is focused around lifestyle. And we're going to be talking tonight about the temple of God. The temple of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 and 20 says what? Know ye not that your body, say my body, is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Which are God's. Second Chronicles chapter 6, then we'll go into chapter 7, but chapter 6 verses 40 through 42 says, Now my God, let I beseech thee, thine eyes be open, let thine ears be attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. Now therefore arise, O Lord God, into thy resting place, thou and the ark of thy strength, let the priest O Lord God, be clothed with salvation and let thy saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, turn not away the face of thine anointed. Remember the mercies of David, thy servant. Chapter 7 says, Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house and the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house, say the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord saying, for he is good. And his mercy endureth forever. Tonight we hear the temple of God. And in our minds perhaps we envision a church. We envision our church. We think about this place being the temple of God. Perhaps some of us we think of the old ancient temples that we have seen pictures of. And that's where our mind goes when we hear temple. We sang the song when we were little kids, building up the temple, building up the temple of the Lord. But tonight, we're not talking about this actual building. We're not talking about the ancient temples that perhaps you have in your mind. I do, however, want to take a look at our text this evening. And remember that while David had such a desire and passion to build the temple... God had actually orchestrated that his son Solomon would be the one to actually build it. But David was so passionate about this work of building a temple for God. I want us to pause right there and get that. David was so passionate about this work of building a temple, not for himself, not for his son Solomon, not so that his fame would be spread more than it had been spread, 
But this was about God. This temple was going to be dedicated for a purpose. And that purpose was for God to come and to dwell. He had such a passion for God to have a place. That he spent not days, but years arranging for supplies and making preparations for Solomon. He didn't have Amazon Prime where he got online and selected some things he'd like to be delivered to Solomon the next day. While that would have been nice and easy, it took a whole lot more thought and effort on his part. And it took him years of preparation to make sure that Solomon would have everything he needed to build this temple for God. It wasn't for him, it wasn't for anybody else, but for God And David, who was not even going to be the one to build it, spent so much time preparing. And his endeavor was not to make himself bigger than he already was. It wasn't about making Solomon look good. It was about being able to create a dwelling place for God. The temple was not an afterthought. It was not a shed in the back. It was not... A doghouse. It was not, hey, Jesus, you can take the spare bedroom or you can sleep on the couch. It was, I want to build a place that is for God. I want to be serious enough about what I am doing and passionate enough that I'm going to put thought into this. Because I want it to be worthwhile. God deserves it to be worthwhile. It was a dwelling place for God. And so David took this work so seriously that whatever he could contribute to make it the best for God, he was going to find a way to make it happen. He didn't go to Home Depot and walk down the aisle and look for the purple painted lumber that's 70% off. He didn't go and say, what's the least I can do and get by? He wasn't ordering from somewhere else so he could get a better price. No, he said, I want the best of the best. I'm not trying to cheat God. I'm not trying to build something just to be there. I want this to be special for God. This temple, it got choice imported cedars. It got fine stone and it got pure gold. And after years of labor An enormous cost, the sanctuary of the Lord, had been completed. Without the express direction and presence of God abiding within, it might have just been another collection of stones and wood and material. But David said, I don't want this to be just another building. I don't want to build this edifice that we can put on the side of the road and just let people look at and ooh and awe over. But in my purpose of this, I want it to be a place that God wants to dwell. I want it to be a place that when people look at, it's not just this place with these materials that we picked and we chose for this this reason, but we put thought into this for God's sake. After years of labor and all of this, It was not going to be just a big paperweight. But God visited this place. The glory of the Lord filled this place. 
just as he had done with Moses in Exodus chapter 33. And just as he did in Second Chronicles chapter 5, when the musicians and the singers got together and they were unified with one voice and sent one sound to heaven. And the glory cloud filled the place and they could not even stand to minister because God met them there. It was the temple of God. It was a place for God to meet with his people. Here again, the conclusion of Solomon's prayer. God shows up. And there was a divine interruption where the priests are approaching the door and they're saying, well, we can't go in because the glory of the Lord is so powerful in there. And and that cloud is so thick that we can't even do what we're supposed to do. But it was a divine interruption because it was serving its purpose. The purpose was it would be a place for God to dwell. And when God showed up, they were they were satisfied. Sometimes we come in here and God begins to move and that's what we want. That's what we long for. We want to come into the house of God and know, hey, I may not get to sing one song. I may not get to say one word, but God was here and God moved. And that's why this place was built. We didn't build this place on the side of this road so people would drive by and just talk about how pretty it was. If God doesn't meet us here, then we wasted a whole lot of money. And we wasted a whole lot of this man's precious time. But there is a reason for this place. He had prepared a place for God, so God came. David knew the love of God and the mercy of God. And David knew he owed more than he could ever give. And that without God, he would have nothing and be nothing. So David desired above all to please God. What could I do for God that will outlive me? What could I do right now for the kingdom of God that would leave a legacy that would outlive my own life? That would outlive my family? That would outlive anything that I could even imagine? What can I contribute right now? Because some people, they say, well, I'm not going to be involved in the process. I'm not going to be here. I'm not investing. But David said, no, that's not my spirit or my attitude at all. I want to invest in the kingdom of God. I want to know what can I do and what can I contribute. It's not about my glory. It's not so that I get accolades. It's for God. I want to know that God has a place. If I die tomorrow, I want to know God still has a place. If every one of my family members is gone tomorrow, I want to know that God still has a place. If all I do is build stuff for myself, then when I die, it goes with me. But if I am investing in others and pouring into others and pouring into the work of God, the work of God is going to be for eternity. So why not invest in something that's going to outlive myself? When I am gone, what have I contributed to build a kingdom and to create a greater cause? Another part of the experience for us is that we are intended to be the temple of God. We are intended to be the dwelling place for God. And we should do our best to prepare our hearts and our bodies to be his dwelling place. And I wonder tonight, what if we stopped for just a moment as David did 
and said, before I do one thing to this body, before I live a certain lifestyle, before I make some choices that are going to affect this temple, I want to make sure that what I am offering is the very best. I want to make sure that I'm using the choice lifestyle, that I'm using the very best gold, that I'm using the best material I can to improve this body, not just in a physical sense, but I'm doing everything I can to make this a place God would want to dwell. I want to live a life that God would look down and say, there, that's the one I'm looking for. That is a place that I can dwell. That is one that has presented themselves Holy and acceptable. If we only put as much thought into our temple as David did his. What kind of life could we really live? That brings us to our first point tonight. Which is honoring God with our lives. Honoring God with our lives. Holiness. All the red flags went up and sirens started going off and. Blinders went on and fingers went in the ear and holiness, hear me, tonight is not a rule book. Holiness is not thou shalt not, 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 that shall not. You need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. But we hear the word holiness and some of us, we cringe and that's immediately what comes into our mind is rule book. But holiness stems from a desire to honor God and to mirror His holiness. To be holy for He is holy. What is holiness? One aspect of the word holy is set apart... It doesn't end there. Unto God. Holiness or holy is to be set apart unto God. This meaning is further explained by the word consecrated. Which means dedicated to God for a specific purpose. Holiness is more about being dedicated to God than it is about being separate from the world. We think it's all about just separating ourselves from the world. But if all I do is separate myself from the world, then I'm stuck somewhere in limbo. But it's not only setting myself apart from the world, but it is a pursuit of God. It is what can I do to please God? What can I do to make this place a holy temple that he would want to dwell? What is something I could do and, and, and say that would create an atmosphere for my life to change in a better way? To be holy, a person must choose to be consecrated unto God. See, holiness, we think that it's just what pastor gets up and says, then that's what is. That opinions of people and of man is is that's that's the rule book that's what we've got to do but god said no i want this to be very clear to you this is your choice you get to decide that you get to do this you get to live this way you get to be a part not only of a life separated from the world but a life that is in pursuit of me 
a life that is hungry for me and devoted to me. If I were to ask Brother Michael to step out that door over there and to stay out there for just a little bit, what have I done? Well, our minds, we think, oh no, he, you just isolated him. You just put him away from everybody else. You embarrassed him. You called him out in front of everybody. And you put him in a place where, where we've excluded him. But what has really just happened is that now one has been separated from the crowd and put in a place where he can now be in pursuit of somebody else. He can find company with somebody else the moment that we put him there. The person is separated from your presence and is now in the presence of somebody else. The influence of this group no longer affects him if he's out there. The things that we could say and the things that we could do no longer affect him because he has separated himself. He's no longer in the mix of all of this. The connection to this group has now been severed. And while that person may be aware of this group and have memories of this group, they are no longer a part of this group. And the closer we get to God, the more holiness we will exhibit because we will experience more and more influence from Him. And by doing that, we will experience less and less influence from the world. My separation is only worth something if I began a pursuit of him. If Brother Michael went out those doors and just stayed there, then he would be isolated. Then he would be all alone. Then he would feel depression and loneliness and a moment of saying, well, man, I left all my friends. I left that life that I knew, and now what? But somebody who is seeking God and seeking a lifestyle of holiness, it doesn't end when you just separate yourself from the world, but it begins when you start a pursuit for God. And you say, I'm not just leaving this, I am giving myself to God, I am pursuing Him. For leaving the crowd doesn't gain them anything other than feeling isolated and left out. But if we were to leave and somewhere out there we were pursuing God, then that will make all the difference. If when I separate myself, I begin pursuing God, that's what repentance is. That's what gets us going in the right direction. But we've got to continue that lifestyle of walking after God. Point number two is to set us apart unto God or separated from the world. Our motivation for holiness should be about our desire to be closer to Him. We don't think about holiness the way that God wants us to think about holiness. He said, I, I, I want you to make this about me. I want you to do this because you want to be nearer to me, not because you're just concerned with leaving all that behind. There's a bigger purpose to this. The concept of holiness is that we first become separated unto God. Second, that separation unto God allows us to pursue His purpose for our lives. We may find ourselves pursuing holiness with the wrong motivation, which can lead to legalism. Well, I, I've got to look that part, or pastor's not going to use me. 
I've got to dress that way if they're going to let me do this in ministry. And I've got to, you know, I've got to meet this, this level here. And God's saying, that's important. And I want you to live that way and walk that way and talk that way. But I want you to be pursuing me while you're doing those things. I don't want you just pulling yourself further and further away from the world. And you're walking this way and I'm over here. I want you to be pursuing me in, in doing that. You're benefiting yourself, your family, everybody around you, and you will contribute a whole lot more than you could ever imagine. Our goal is not simply to distance ourselves from the world, but that in our drawing near to God, it will produce a separation from the world. Because you see, if we're only intending on separating ourselves from the world, we can look like a bunch of jerks sometimes. Oh, I can't come, I can't be with you. I can't do that. I can't do those things. And, and you burn that bridge and you put so many walls up between you and those people that you love. Oh, I'm doing this for God. I'm, I'm separating myself for God. But you just stay here and you're never pursuing God. No, you need to be walking away from that with the mindset I'm walking to him. I love you, but I love him more. I, I appreciate my family and my friends outside of these walls, but I'm living a life that I'm pursuing God. And I may make some decisions you don't agree with and you don't understand why I've changed the way that I walk and the way that I talk and the way that I live. And you may not understand why I'm praying the way that I'm praying and why I all of a sudden started speaking in tongues and, and, and God's changed my whole life. You may not understand all of that, but I'm pursuing God and I want a, a life for God. And now you've done that and you have separated yourself from them, but you've also left that door open for them to come through and cross that bridge and say, well, I've seen what God has done in him. I want to be a part of that. You've got to be intentional in what you're doing and realize you can either close a door and burn a bridge or you can leave a door open that they can cross a bridge and someday get to where you are. But that doesn't happen by you being hateful and vengeful and and talking about how horrible. And it, that way is not for everybody. That sinful lifestyle that you left behind. I'm thankful that you left it behind. Don't get me wrong tonight. But if all I did was leave it behind. Or rub it in their faces. That oh I left you. And I, now I'm blessed and highly favored of God. And I'm saved, sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost. And you're not. That's not Holiness. Holiness is when my first mindset is not just to walk away from this, but to walk towards God, pursuing Him. We hear holiness and we, we start getting our measuring tape out, our magnifying glasses. We start looking over at Pastor, seeing if he's shaking his head yes or no. We get our rule books out and saying, okay, well, well what, is, what does the Word say? Or what does tradition say? Or what are, what, what are we doing here and we want to go through all of the thou shalt nots and and start measuring people up and we come and this woman she was caught in the midst of adultery and she needs to be stoned and she needs to be put to death and but God is saying hold up this holiness thing is not just about looking the part it's about living the part it's got to be a part of who you are it's got to be in your conversation it's got to be in your mind. It's got to be in your spirit. Every part of you has got to be committed to this. And it's about pursuing a life for me. 
and to creating an atmosphere in your own body that I would want to be a part of you. There needs to be an inward and outward separation and distinction. Our motivation needs to be that we desire to be more Christ-like and not more church-like. Because we can perfect church. We can come in and we can have everything popping and working just right that would, man, get you moving and get your feet stomping. and We can do that. Brother Clyde T can get people moving. Amen? Pastor can get up and preach a message that can stir you and, and, and move your heart. But ultimately, he said earlier, you choose. You choose that you're going to live this life. And I must make sure that in my choosing, that I am choosing to be Christ-like and not just church-like. Part number three says to set ourselves apart unto God for a purpose. There's a reason we're doing this. We're not doing this to waste our time and your time and just make you think that you've got to live this way to measure up. But there's a reason, a God-given reason. In Exodus 29, God requires a process of making holy those who served him. Aaron and his sons were not just to be separated from the general population and say, all right, well, I've brought you away from the crowd. Awesome. Now you're separated. But God said, no, there's a purpose in me doing this. God had a specific purpose for them. And your being different is not so that you can be a museum artifact for people to come and look at and say, well, don't she sure look pretty in her dress? Oh, don't they look different? Don't they just... We're not this artifact for people to look at now that we've separated ourselves and we've changed some things for people to notice while we're thankful that they notice those things. That's not where it ends. There's a greater purpose than you just looking the part. God wants you living the part. You're being set apart and a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people is not so we can be a peculiar people. That's not what God means. He doesn't mean strange and weird and the circus act came into town. Let's look at these weirdos. They've set themselves apart. Let's look at them and see how goofy they look. No, God says you are called out for a purpose. You are called out for a reason. Your being different makes a difference. You living a life of holiness makes a difference. People do notice you. Not just our ladies. Not just because they look different. But men, you make a difference. In your conversation, in your attitude, in your character. There's men at your job that will say, hey, we may be wearing the same coveralls and overalls today, but there's something different about you. You don't talk like the rest of these guys. You don't act like the rest of these guys. There's something different about you. And while there's part of that, that they're just admiring this artifact, there was something much deeper that you are living, not just looking, that created something inside of them to say, there's something different about that person. 
There's people that look the part all day long, but they get around people and they say, they ain't all there. There's something lacking there. They may look like a child of God, but they're certainly not acting like a child of God. So it's not just about looking it, it's about living it. Your being different makes a difference. You being that way is not to elevate you around your peers. It's not about you being better than somebody else, holier than thou. But your mindset is about, I want to please God. I want to be in pursuit of God. And if me dressing this way is pleasing to God, then I want to do that and some. If me talking like this and living like this and walking towards Him and pursuing Him is a separating me from the world, but it's also pleasing God and making me a place that He would want to come and dwell, then that's what I want to do. It's a testament of your pursuit of someone, not something. Holiness is not a pursuit of me trying to chase after something. This level of perfection that I have now reached the holiest of holies. That I can be the best of the best because of how I dress and how I act and how I present myself. But it's about pursuing someone. And saying, God, more than anything, I want to please you. I, I, as David, God, I, I want you to be pleased with this temple. I want you to look down upon it and say, this is good. This is a place I can dwell that I'm not ashamed to enter into. And I'm not ashamed to visit with. He calls each of us with unique purpose in the advancement of his kingdom. My choice for this temple should be the best. The best. If David pursued fine stones. If David pursued pure gold. If David said, no, I don't want just any lumber. I want choice imported cedar. Then what all should I pursue for this temple? What kind of life should I be living for this temple? The pursuit of just being separated unto God without pursuing his purpose for our lives will only lead us to frustration. Christians who sit on the sideline while living their lives supposedly separated from the world contribute little to the kingdom of God. If Brother Michael had walked out the door and just sat there and never pursued anything and never went after God, it would be for nothing. When you look at the distinct plan and details of the Old Testament tabernacle, God was not giving them a bunch of instructions for no reason. Everything was for a reason. Everything served a purpose. God had specific instruction for the manufacture of everything associated with the ceremonies and ministries that took place there. From the basins to the spoons to the pitchers to the meat hooks to the cups. Everything, all of it had a purpose. And it was used for that purpose. It's one thing to have a purpose but... If I have a cup that is meant to drink out of, but I don't ever use it, then it's a paperweight. It's doing nothing for me but taking up space in my cabinet. 
And God said, that's not what I've done here. I haven't drawn people unto me to have them just sit on a pew and not contribute and not to be a part and not to be involved and not to be a temple in a place that I can come and dwell. I want to use them for a specific purpose and a reason. These parts, they came from precious metals and purchased from expensive craftsmen. And they all had a place and purpose. He had no intention of them being pretty decor for people to come and look at. They were separated for a purpose. These items were considered holy. Because what they were used for, they were set apart and they were used for something for God. For those to have been created and purpose, these items, for them to have been created with such purpose, then why would I think that I too was not created for a special purpose? That one that he would allow to bear his own name and take upon his name in baptism and he would go to a cross and die for and bleed and, and for our sins and for our sickness and disease. If he did all of that, why would I think he did not have a purpose for my life? It is with us that if we are separated unto God but we never pursue his purpose for our lives. The pursuit of being only separated from the world can bring legalism. But the pursuit of being separated unto God's purpose leads to transformation. Leads to transformation. Point number four tonight. God's purpose in calling his people to holiness. There's a reason. Tell your neighbor, there's a reason. To understand God's purpose for holiness in our lives, we need to understand the nature of of sin. You see, we have a distorted view of God's purpose for holiness. Well, I know what holiness is. That's what God uses to make me feel like I fail. Because I can never keep up. I've never got my clothes right. I've never got my attitude right. I'm never going to obtain perfection. I, I don't know how Job did it. I don't know how Jesus did it, living in this flesh. Because I live around people. I live around other people. I live in my own flesh that I know gives me problems. And surely God created holiness just to prove to me how bad of a human I really am. Surely God has holiness in the picture to condemn me for my imperfection. Or, or that I may be better than others or they may be better than me. That's why God has holiness. But pursuing holiness is not the pursuit of a list of do's and don'ts. Rather, it is the pursuit of God by an individual. When we get closer to Him, we have no choice but to be further from sin. And that is His point. That if you could ever make up your mind, I just want to pursue God. While you do need to leave that lifestyle... If you made up your mind that you were going to be all out pursuit of him, those things would become diminishing every day. The further you'd get away from it, the smaller it would be until you reached the point where it was no longer in sight. And God said, that is what I am wanting for your life. I am wanting you to pursue after me so that you can be so far away from sin you don't ever see it again. You see, God, he's not phased by sin. 
He became sin and took upon himself sin and died on a cross and destroyed it. And it has no hold on him. And it never has and it never will. So why then is God so concerned with me living a life set apart? He doesn't hate sin because he's so holy and completely perfect that he fears the contagion of that sin. While sin is detestable to God, it cannot damage or taint God. So his hatred for sin has nothing to do with him. So what does it have to do with? What does God's hatred for sin have to do with all of this? His hatred for sin comes for one reason, and that is it destroys the thing that he loves. It destroys the things he died for, that he cares for. That's you, and that's you, and that's you, that's you. If we saw that something was destroying someone that we love, what measure would we take to ensure that they didn't have to do that anymore? If I saw that something was destroying my children or my spouse, literally destroying them, what effort would I go to to preserve their life and to say, don't do that, don't go that way, don't live that lifestyle. It's not just about that. You don't see the big picture. That's going to destroy you. Would you follow me and I'll get you out of this mess? Follow me and I'll help you overcome all of this. That was what God was intending Because you see, sin destroys people. It destroys people. It always produces death. I don't care who you are. I don't care what pedigree you have, who your mom or dad is or was. I don't care the life that you lived up to this point. God is not a respecter of person, but sin is not either. It doesn't care who you are. It doesn't care who your mom and dad is. It doesn't care what kind of job you have or how long you've had the Holy Ghost. Sin wants to hunt you down and it wants to take you out. It wants to destroy your family. It wants to break up marriages and homes. It wants to destroy men and women. And it is rampant in our world right now trying to destroy all that is good and all that is holy. Sin is doing that. James chapter 1 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death sin is fun when it's just getting started sin is fun in the early stages and you're living life but when it's done when it's done its deed in your family and in your life and in your mind it will poison you and destroy you and it will kill everything that you have and love when it's finished you're finished Some people who flirt with sin are having fun, but there is a pleasure of sin for a season, the Bible says. But when it's finished, it only brings forth death. 
So it is with this insight that we now can understand God's motive. When he says, I want you to be holy for I am holy. I want you to pursue a life of holiness. It's not to be vengeful. It's not to have you measure up to some standard that you cannot attain. His motive for doing this is his motive for everything else he does, and that is love. Well, God is a God of love. He would never ask me to live that kind of lifestyle. He knows I can't do that. He knows I can't live that way. Well, God's a God of grace, and he doesn't expect me to live a life like that anymore. Times have changed. Our world is changing, and God doesn't expect that of me. Well, he's a God of love, so he's interested in, he's he's not interested in in the way that I talk and my attitude and all that. You know, that's just how people talk these days. This is how we dress these days, and I'm, I'm one of the normal people. No, he's asking you to do all of those things because he is a God of love. Because he knows what will happen if sin takes hold. He knows what will happen if you ever allow that to get a hold of that temple, it will be destroyed. I don't ask my family to put on seatbelts when we get in the car because it's click it or ticket. When I get in the car, I'm not saying, okay, everybody buckle up because it's a law and it's a rule and I want you to buckle up right now. While it is a law and while it is a rule and we should follow and obey that law, my main goal is that I know the outcome if we were to have an accident of what would happen if I did not wear that seatbelt. And so I want to do whatever I can to preserve this life. I want to do whatever I can to make sure that they're taken care of. And God said, look, listen, I want you to get a hold of this. This is about a pursuit of me. This is about me ensuring that your life is safe and protected. And I'm trying to call you out of something that is going to destroy you. I'm trying to preserve your life. I've given you guidelines not to harm you or hurt you, but to preserve you and to give you life. If we are pursuing sin, that brings death. But in pursuing holiness, in pursuing holiness, which is pursuing him and his purpose, we are ultimately pursuing life. We have got to understand this is God's motive. We often talk about our motives. We pray about our motives. Well, God, this is the reason I'm doing this. And this is why I'm, I'm this way and what, what I'm going through. And Lord, you know my heart. We pray about our motives all the time. But when was the last time you prayed and you said, well, what is God's reasoning for this? If pastor is preaching this to me, there's a reason. He's not out here hitting me with a yardstick trying to get me to behave. There's a reason That God is trying to wake me up and get me to realize there is a lifestyle here that I need to be living. And it's not just to to shame me for the life that I've been living. But it is out of love because he sees what sin is doing to my life. And I need to pursue something else and something greater that is going to guarantee me eternity. There's a reason for God doing this. And when we see why God is doing this, it makes holiness seem so much better than the way we view it. When you view it this way and you see it's God doing it out of love and kindness and mercy and grace and and extending you an outstretched hand when you're fleeing sin, 
you say, oh God, it's not what I thought it was at all. I can put down those flags. I can silence those alarms. Holiness is not as bad as everyone's made it out to be. The church isn't out to get me. The preacher's not looking me in the eyes and calling me out in front of everybody. But rather it is God extending his hand saying, come my child. Don't, don't live that lifestyle of sin. A call to holiness is not me asking you to be better than the world. A call to holiness is not me telling you you need to be better than your neighbors and your friends. And you need to show them who you are. It doesn't even mean that it's me being a better Christian. It's not about what can or cannot be done by Christians. But about trusting God's purpose. Holiness is rooted in God's love for his highest creation. While that call does come with a level of commitment, it is worth every effort to demonstrate our gratitude to him. David, it didn't happen overnight. But he said, I want to take time to make sure I get this right. I want to take years if I have to, to make sure that this is the best that I can offer. I want to give of my very best to God so that he can have a dwelling place here. And may that be our prayer tonight. God, if it takes me years, if it takes my entire life and until I breathe my very last breath to create a place right here that you can dwell, God, that's what I desire. I want to pursue you. I want to please you, God. I want to be a dwelling place for you to come and to be a part of. Don't let there be anything here that you would look upon and bring disdain to you and say, I don't want a part of that. God, but whatever I've got to separate myself from and unto you, God, open that door and let me see that way out so that I could live this life. Old song says, Lord, prepare me. To be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. And with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Can we all stand tonight? May we ever endeavor every day to pursue God. In our separating ourselves from our past and our friends and and those outside of these walls. You can even tell them, it's not you, it's me. It's not you, it's me. I'm making some choices that are a little different. And I'm pursuing something that you may not understand right now, but I hope that you'll see it. I hope you'll notice a difference. In my life. I hope you'll see the peace that surrounds me and and the blessings and the favor of God. Because as I get closer to Him, everything else diminishes in size. And sooner or later, it's out of sight. Out of sight, out of mind. Lord, prepare me tonight. Lord, would you prepare us tonight to be a sanctuary, to be a temple for you. God, that if there is anything in my life tonight, God, that I need to set aside or separate myself from, God, let it be done with the right attitude and the right spirit. God, that it would be a pursuit of you, Lord, that I would want to be more like you and less of me. 
God, I want to pursue you with my whole heart. God, I want to separate myself from the world, but I want to separate myself first unto you. God, and pursue you and pursue righteousness and holiness. God, I want to live a life that is pleasing to you. God, that when you would look down upon my life, you would find a place that you could dwell. You could find a place that you could come and fill with your glory. God, I pray tonight that you would do that in each and every individual. Prepare us, oh God. Lord, let us be as David. Let us be intentional with this temple. Let us think about what we are doing when we're doing it. Let us not do anything that would defile this temple. God, I pray a covering around us. Let us live a holy life. God, to not just do it, God, because we're pursuing something, but because we are pursuing someone. We're pursuing you, oh God. Let it happen in each and every one of our lives tonight, God. And we ask all of this tonight. In the precious name of Jesus, lead us, O God. Guide us, Lord, in our pursuit of you. God, make straight the way to you, O Lord. Show us, O God. Order our steps tonight. God, to be like Jesus. Oh, we want to please you, God. That is our heart's desire, God. Not to be holy, to be better than somebody else, but to be holy, to please you, oh God. To be a people that is set apart. To be a people, oh God, that walks different and talks different and lives different. Holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what we long for tonight. It's what we need, oh God. We thank you, Jesus, for your blessing. We thank you for your hand upon us tonight. Go with us and keep us, oh Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap tonight. Thank him for his love. Thank him for that outstretched hand tonight. Praise God. Praise God. I'm thankful that we get to be the temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Are you thankful tonight? Amen. That he called you. That he set you apart. Amen. Love somebody tonight. Let them know how thankful you are that they were here Amen. God bless you. We will see you this Sunday and pray the blessings of the Lord be upon you. Amen.